everyone, and welcome to the Uncorked Corner podcast, where we cover the full spread of food and beverage industry topics. My name is Bianca, PR and marketing professional by day and food and wine connoisseur by night. And my name is Nick, an accountant with a passion for barbecue, beer, and whiskey. Our guest today is co-founder of Smith Devereaux Wines, wine director at San Francisco Magazine, and musician Ian Devereaux White. During this episode, we discuss what makes Smith Devereaux Wines and its co-founders strike a chord with their audience. From creative partnerships with artists to the passion to make great wine accessible to everyone, Ian explains what gives Smith Devereaux Wines their award-winning quality and individuality. On that note, let's get into the podcast. walk us through a little bit about your background story on how you guys founded the winery. I was on the website and I saw you, it looks like you guys have a pretty unique story of meeting each other and getting everything going. So I'd like to hear about that. Absolutely. Well, in order to understand that, I think that I should probably start with the fact that I was born on a rainy day in that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Take it all the way back. Um, yeah. So what happened was I was a, uh, I still am the wine director for San Francisco magazine, but I was a writer for lonely planet travel guides. And I, um, finished that job and the president of Lonely Planet moved over to a magazine in San Francisco where I was living. And there was nobody at that magazine that was writing about wine or at least not doing it in an accessible kind of way. And so he said, Hey dude, I know you're done with Lonely Planet. You're done with writing, but I also know you're dating a girl up in the wine country. While you're up there, would you mind writing about the wine country? He's like, "Eh." all right, well, I got nothing else on my plate right now. It sounds like a good way to get to know it. Well, fast forward eight years, I've written for wine enthusiasts. I've written for even psychology today about the mental aspects and the health aspects of wine. I've taught classes. I've traveled all over the world. And I've been to thousands. And I mean that of wineries um, at that point. And so, and it was a beautiful way to transition into the wine community because everywhere I went, I was writing about them and then people would go visit or they'd buy wines. And this new community was gaining access to sort of insider knowledge. And I got to use what I learned at Lonely Planet and through that vibe and that writing style, um, I was able to use that. Um, to support the wine community. So about nine years in, I'd made really, had a really close friendship with this guy named John Truchard, who was a farmer. His parents started Truchard Vineyards in the 70s and uh, he grew up farming. He grew up driving tractors and just a good dude sharing an office. And I was interviewing somebody in his tasting room, actually, John Anthony. And he asked me, how long have you been writing? The person I was interviewing asked. And I said, I guess I've been writing for about nine years. And he goes, wow just telling other people's stories for nine years. It's like, oh, dude, you're a jerk. I've never really thought about it that way, but yeah, I guess so. And so I, um, I went to John that very day, moments later actually, and said, dude, I want to buy some of those grapes that you farm and I want to make a wine. I'm ready to start doing something. And he said, you're going to lose your shirt, dude. I'm like, oh, all right, not my day. And then he said, I have a better idea. Let's start a winery together. I'm farming all these vineyards. I think at that point he was farming like 50 or 60 vineyards around Napa Valley and all over the place. Um, And uh, he said, let's buy back some of the grapes and let's start a winery and make wines from vine to bottle. We won't have to pay a mortgage because we'll be farming other people's properties. We'll be getting paid to farm the properties. So our margins will be better and we can make the wines at, you know, small family owned winery. So we'll do it all ourselves. And that was how this all began. And it was uh, the first vintage was 2012. And we made it with a musician named Matt Carney and had a deal with Whole Foods that was both a blessing and a curse because we were by no means ready to launch into 50 states and the intricacies of getting distribution in all those states. It was incredibly challenging. But luckily I had a partner, this guy who was Matt Carney's manager and became a dear friend and his name is Steve Smith. And so he was on Matt Carney's side of the deal and I, John and I were on the vineyard side of the deal. And so as we finished that up, um, it became clear that Steve and I were gonna have a friendship that lasted a lifetime. I had been in a band my entire life and still was at that point called High Noon and still am and we play in the tasting room. And so Steve was tired of being in the music industry and. John's other businesses were so consuming, he wasn't able to be the kind of partner at that point, this is about three years now, in that he thought he could, wanted to be in the beginning. And so I said, dude, I wanna bring somebody else on, somebody that can travel, somebody that can be there all the time. You Steve, keep doing the farming, you keep doing what you're already in your natural course of business, but um, I wanna start doing, I wanna bring somebody else on. He said, do it. And so I brought on Steve Smith and that's when we became Smith Devereaux. And Steve's background, 19 years in the music industry, 
and also I mean, he, he signed people ranging from let's see like the fray john mayer uh mac harney all kinds of wonderful bands and so he had this amazing career and what he was able to do is marketing for all of those different bands and all that really beautiful stylistic and just business planning for such different artists all under the same thing very much like different wines and so he came on and he was an amazing asset he lives in chicago so easy to travel to a lot of places as well and so we joined forces and um when we started designing our tasting room we put in a uh, we put in a recording studio guitars on the walls music three nights a week we called it jam sellers because that's john's other brand and in the wine industry you can't write anything off that goes in or on the bottle uh, tax-wise, but you can write off marketing expense like building a tasting room. And since Smith Ever was just getting started, we decided to call it Jam Sellers, still make it with all the music and all of the kind of ideas that we came up with together for, for the Smith Ever tasting room, but call it Jam that way. He's, his company could run it and, and we could sell our wines there. And so that was kind of the genesis of what brings us to where we are now. Um, we still farm a lot of the vineyards we use. We do have relationships with some wonderful families that are growing grapes for us. Uh, we do buy certain blenders. We trade barrels with friends. Um, we buy barrels from friends and they buy barrels from us. I'm actually, I uh, just got a call from this dude. He's got some killer Merlot over in Coombsville and I love Coombsville Merlot. And so I think if all goes well, I'll trade him a couple barrels of cab for a couple barrels of Merlot and maybe we'll do something special for our wine club. So that's what brought us all together until COVID, we had bands three nights a week. My band played frequently. Steve is still actively managing bands, including my favorite musician, Brett Denon, who we make a wine with. We also have a whole series of wines called the Artist Series Wines that we make with musicians and other people of influence and almost always for charity. And that is it. Awesome. That's really cool. Uh, so yeah, so let's get a little bit into the wines now. You said that you work with a bunch of vineyards around you and different families and stuff. So in your regional area, is everything you use and put into your wines right there? Do you outsource from different places to get different maybe flavor profiles to go into your different wines? It depends on the wine. So in Apple Valley Cab, no. Um, so right now we're farming a vineyard in Oak Knoll. It's also where I give vineyard tours. And so that is our Cabernet and that will be moving forward as well. It's a wonderful family. We do everything. Our single vineyard Merlot, we farm at Davidson Ranch. John's been farming that vineyard for 15 years or something. And so those, we have complete control. We do everything from farm to bottle. Now we work with a family in Mendocino for our California red blend and another family up in um, uh, near Clear Lake, actually, for the Sauvignon Blanc white blend. And then we work with a, a group in um, uh, Solano County, uh, over in Yolo County, actually, you only live once county, where we get our rosé grapes from. And so for our California wines, we work with people that we know year after year, so we can achieve consistency for the Napa Valley wines. That's all us. And so like in Mendocino though, because that's a wine that we love and we're gonna make, we met uh, the Ravino family and we said, well, it's McConnell, they go by Ravino, but uh, that's the name of the business. And so we met them and we wanted to make this amazing Syrah because they had this big, bold chocolatey Syrah. And it was just awesome. Um, but they didn't have anything else there that we wanted. So we ended up buying some Zinfandel to pair with that Syrah. And then that was what we thought was perfect until they told us they had some cab on their property too, that they were farming the same way that we needed things farmed. And so we checked that out and we blended it in too. It's like, dude, this is awesome. And so now the foundation of the wine is still the Syrah, buy it from the same plot, the same area, the same vineyard every year, same family, same thing with the cab frog that we get. And then the Zinfandel, depending on what that yields, we will buy the Zinfandel from anywhere from Paso Robles up to, you know, really kind of anywhere that, as long as their farming practices are sustainable and they're thoughtful about what they're doing, we're willing to work with them for the Zinfandel because it just depends on what that year does. Is the Cabernet, is the Cab Franc spicy? Is the, you know, is, is the Syrah overly dark chocolate? Is there too much dark chocolate in it? And rather than messing with that, what we'll do is we'll buy a Zin that has a little more raspberry to it versus blueberry. And clearly those are going to have extremely different flavor orientations and profiles and bring a totally different game to what we're making in that wine. And so it's really fun to be able to have those two fundamentals that we know where they're coming from every year, the same thing, and then be able to bring in uh, something special um, in order to balance it out. And going around and tasting all those different wines and making sure they match up to what you're looking for must be the most fun part, right? You know, the most fun part is sharing it with people. That, that part is really cool to see what you can get. But man, you got to kiss. Oh man, you got to kiss a lot of frogs before you get a 
prince or princess. Um, and so it's, yeah, it, it can be really fun. We have a consulting winemaker named Brett Adams who does a lot of the sort of preliminary work and um, he's awesome. The guy's just great. He takes the flavor profiles that we've created for many years and over the last two years has improved all of them and worked with our grape contracts, worked with our all of our kind of system and been able to do just an incredible job of continuing but improving what we've done. And so he will kiss most of the frogs and then bring the, the, the reasonably good looking frogs <laughs> and then we all kiss those and then pick a prince but it's a lot of it in napa valley things are different i've traveled a lot to italy to write about wines and over there there is an art to it it's sort of like you've got your you've got your canvas and you're going to paint on the canvas and you're going to see what happens as you go and all those broad strokes and craziness and you're gonna end up with a little splatter here that's kind of the way not all of them. I don't want to. I don't want to say that this is all Italians, but this is sort of the idea of that historic artisanal winemaker of of Europe, and even some of the bacterial and microbes um, that that can be found in their in their cellars of you know hundreds or thousands of years or whatever it is. If you're in Georgia, that that do add flavors to their wines. That's part of the uniqueness, this, the way it's, it's celebrated there. And um, over here, it's such a science. It's crazy how different it is here. I mean, it's really hard to find a poorly made wine. You may, it's easy to find a wine you don't like, but it's hard in Napa Valley to find a poorly made wine because we have so much science and we have such specificity. And at some level, I think sort of to a detriment uh, in certain cases, because you start to be surrounded by these ubiquitous, similar, you know, flavor profiles. Why? Because we all know exactly what to soil, what soil, what to plant in that soil, when to pick, you know, all these other things. And then you say, well, the hilltops, which are really different from the valley or whatever the case may be. But at the end of the day, um, the differential that comes from really the winemaking from the barrels you choose, that's really actually these days what makes the biggest difference. Speaking of art, you have the artist series. Is there something, um, special about that. Can you give us a little bit of an idea of what that means? I'm looking at the uh, vacationer bottle right now and it's, it's very cool. And I saw another one on your site and it's colorful. It's very summery. I think something that resonates well right now. Um, we'd love to hear more about that. Thank you. Yeah. So the artist series actually began with artists meaning, well, we, we kept it broad because it started with musical artists and only musical artists. And so that to this point is primarily what we're doing is we're making wines with musicians and Brett Denon, my favorite musician, painted that. And he's our he, he's the one who we made that with, who made a wine, make a wine with Amy Hanai-Li, who is the official musician of the Hawaiian Islands. And she's a musical artist as well. But more than that, uh, in terms of what she does for that culture, we made wines with Andrew McMahon of Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness, formerly of Jack's Mannequin. And um, each one of those has a donation component to it. So those are all musical artists that we work with. Matt Carney, we make verse and chorus. Uh, we've always avoided working with too big of celebrities. And the reason is, is we don't want to get lost in the mix of celebrity wines. What we want to do is make wines with people who are making music and have an audience that they connect with. Our motto is every bottle tells a story. We want to be a part of your story. We want you to be a part of ours. And when you get to a celebrity status, that's not really too true. You become part of somebody's story, but they're not a part of yours other than as a general part of the audience. And so we work with musicians who are... Um, you know, who are a part of their, their fans' stories. And so that's been a beautiful thing. They come and play in the tasting room. Now, Brett Denon also happens to be an amazing painter. So he painted the charismatic fool, the vacationer, and the new sloth vacationer that you're seeing all over Instagram. Incredible. Um, but I also really want to work with artists for the Smith versus Devereaux project where Steve Smith makes his own wine. I make my own wine. We put it in a box set and send it out to our wine club to vote for which one's better. I hired, um, I worked with, I should say, my favorite artist uh, in Kingren out of Sonoma and used a painting of his that now hangs in my music room. Uh, and so I called that wine the music room. Steve actually had his nephew paint something for him. So in that, we've got a, a, an artist and, and an artist, I suppose. But um, the artist series is also built to include artists of a huge range. So that can be painters, it can be musicians. I think that that word at some level has been stretched so far that it's, you know, at some level, you can even look at a lot of athletes, perhaps even as, as artists in their own way. So the artist series is something that we really want to continue to use as our way to meet new people, to be involved in the musical community, to give something extra to our wine club. Um, and, and also at, at a certain level, 
and at a, I guess at a major level, uh, make it our give back component. Each one of those brands associated with a different cause. Uh, we made a one with Van Ann Wynn, who is currently, I believe, still the top selling classical pianist in the world. And she's Vietnamese. And so that wine, the proceeds, that was called Pop Alchemy, same as uh, title as her album. That wine was made uh, with a donation component for Viet Dreams. And so that's, that's the exciting part about that is we get to have different labels, different balls, different musicians and different causes we support. So that's how much cool. does, the, uh, does the artist actually have of an input going into the wine, the nothing bolts of the winemaking, picking what they're gonna put their sort of brand on and name on and then choose and you said, charity that's going to way more than i would like to give them to be perfectly <laughs> honest it's a pain in the ass um <laughs> it's a, it, that really it's a big range I, we have had situations where we had an artist come and taste all of our wines and say dude this is my perfect wine i love this wine I'm like really all right well we can scrape some labels off and if you have to you can create a new label and a new story and we'll talk about why you love this wine and and why we made a special edition label with you as opposed to a wine from start to finish whereas somebody like brett denon where we're actually out like at a's games in the parking lot tasting different wines and doing blending sessions at our tasting room and visiting vineyards and other wineries to see what they're doing together so it, it is a, a broad range of basically putting a label on a bottle with somebody and raising some money um, all the way to, um, you know, all the way to specifically sourcing part, you know, vineyards and going through blending sessions. We're making a wine right now from Moscato's Italian restaurant in uh, near Sedona in Arizona. And, and they flew out, uh, the two owners, who, by the way, that's my favorite restaurant in the country, but they, um, they flew out and we went through an incredible blending session and we ended up, we're, we're doing a Cabernet and a Cabernet Malbec blend um, and we were very lucky in that they loved our cab, but we had to blend a couple different things together that we make in order to get there. So there's almost always a blending session. Um, there's almost always a pretty serious conversation um, and, 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 and rarely, I guess it's only been once that there just happened to be a wine that we slapped, that, that, we, were, that we put a label on. And even then it was still, um, there was still a lot of, there's a lot of collaboration even in building the label, planning the events, things like that. You mentioned that that's a new one. What's that? <laughs> you mentioned that's a new one that you have coming out. Are there any other new wines that you have coming out in the near future that you're excited about? Oh, so pumped about a couple of things that are coming out. We've got our 2017 Ibex. Ibex is our single vineyard Merlot, and at some level it's what put us on, on the map. It's also the vineyard that, that I was talking about that's right near my home that we farmed first that got us into this. And so that's coming out that I'm really pumped on. We just released the new white blend, which has been awesome to see that all over the place. People just love that citrusy, crisp, easy drinking, serve it super cold white blend. Uh, seeing the limited edition sloth vacation are out there. Is, I've been pumped on. So those are those are all new releases. But the Ibex 2017 Ibex single vineyard Merlot that comes out fall. Super excited about that. It's by far in my mind the best of the single vineyard Merlots we've ever made. I think we finally nailed exactly what we want this to be. We make, we grow and make that Merlot just like other people in Napa Valley make a cab. Merlot is a softer, more floral, more fruit forward grade than Cabernet. But when you grow it this way and you treat it this way, it gets a lot of the structure, a lot of the personality and a lot of the spice that you'd expect of a cab. So it's just more drinkable, it's more playful, but it still has that robust Napa Valley flavor that you're expecting. So really excited about that. And then, um, we do a lot of very small projects just for our wine club and one that's coming out. We, um, we had some 2014 Pinot and we had a little, we made a, we made a limited release project with a band called Toad the Wet Sprocket from the nineties. I highly recommend checking them out. They're awesome. Uh, special Dociana. There's this album fly from heaven as the name of the Pinot that we made with them, but fall away, fall away, fly away, fall away. Um, some really cool music back then, but we still had some leftover Pinot. And we weren't sure what to do. And I decided I wanted to start blending it. I wanted to make a Pinot blend. And everybody said, that's not something people do. And I said, that's definitely something I want to do then. Why don't people do that? I said, oh, because Pinot lovers love Pinot. And people who don't like Pinot don't like Pinot. I was like, that's like the worst reason I've ever heard not to do something is because nobody, come on now, let's make a wine. Let's make a wine. People are going to want to drink because it tastes good, not because they're not used to hearing it. Like this is, this is an opportunity as far as I'm concerned. Let's, let's build something. Just like when everybody said, you're crazy to keep making that Merlot, you should plant that to cab and sell it for 200 bucks. It's like uh, that or make a name for ourselves in the Merlot, Merlot world and sell it for 45 and get everybody into the wine club with that wine. And so what we made was a wine that is gonna be Pinot. It's 56% Pinot and it's got Cab Syrah and Merlot blended into it. 
And so it's a pretty wicked blend. And everybody kept talking about how that was breaking the rules. And I said, we're not breaking the rules. We're just creating a little mischief. And so uh, we named it Mischief. Nice. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that wine club that you keep mentioning. Oh, have I mentioned that? No. <laughs> Our wine club is for us really special. It's the heart and soul of this winery. And so we're always making custom projects for them, including a brandy uh, that we're making for the holidays this year. Uh, it's That's a, exciting pumped on it. So we're partnering with the Napa Valley Distillery, Arthur Hartunian, who's a dear friend of mine, and I did this together. It spent most of its life, it was spent on bourbon barrels. Um, I collected bourbon. It was sort of my passion for a long time. I created, uh, I created bourbon collections for people. And so it spent most of its time in bourbon barrels. Then we moved it to port barrels and then two years in a still, two, in a still wet single vineyard Merlot barrel of ours. And it came out tasting a lot like a bourbon, I'm gonna be honest with you. And it doesn't surprise me too much because you're driving towards that palate, but you also do get some of the oak, some of the juiciness, some of the Merlot in there too. And so pumped on that for the wine club. That's just one example of the kind of cool stuff we're doing. Our wine club also gets 20% off all purchases. Um, and that is a lot, uh, you get, and that's a lot more than most people offer. And they get six bottles, three times a year, a total of 18 bottles, always something special, always a new release in each one of them. And then a blend of other things that we think are seasonally perfect. Um, for example, the summer's one was two rosés, two white blends, a cab and a three red blend, um, all perfect barbecue wines or, or grilling wines. And we put that together for a reason. It's the first time people had tried the white blend of the rosé though. So something new. So you're always getting something new. You're always getting six bottles but you also have the choice to choose whatever you want. You get your email, you get to go right in and select. If you want six bottles of rosé, you can have six bottles of rosé. If you want six bottles of cab, you can do that, or you can upgrade to a case. Whatever you choose, your shipping's only a dollar. So you're getting 20% off, only a dollar. You choose whatever wines you want in your wine club, and then you have direct access, for better or for worse, to me. And I go out in the vineyards, and I do FaceTimes with people. I do Zoom calls. I do... Um, you know, whatever, you know, I help people pair the wines. I talk to them. I spend a lot of time on Instagram and on this, just developing relationships and letting them know that there is a person behind this brand that is barely paying himself. That's out in the vineyard. That's hosting people in the vineyard that this isn't, I didn't make a bunch of money in technology and then come to this. I didn't, um, I took my vast fortune of from writing for publications and I, and I put this into the company and it's, and it's a beautiful thing to be able to connect to people. It's my favorite part. And so the wine club are people we connect with all the time. Everybody got to design a custom Smith Devereaux hat this year, um, which was really exciting. Everybody got all these colors. I can't wait to see all of them. Um, another really cool thing that I'm very proud of for our wine club. And this was Steve Smith's idea. He, um, when COVID hit, we're like, what are we going to do? Um, so we made dollar shipping for everybody on six bottles or more straight to their door because we knew people didn't want to leave, but they definitely were going to want to drink. Um, what is the old adage? You, you drink in the good times, you drink more in the bad times. Um, and so we got that, we did that, but then we decided we want to do something else. I uh, want to do something special for our wine club. So everyone in our wine club, we sent them to me an email and said, pick anybody you want. We're going to send them a bottle of wine on us. We're going to pay for the wine and we're going to pay for the shipping. And everybody in our wine club got to buy somebody they loved a bottle. And a lot of them then zoomed and drank the bottle together. A lot of them just surprised a family member. I think some of them bought them for themselves and tried to trick us and put a different address on it, but whatever, it didn't matter. And that brought us so close to so many people. And we did a, for Mother's Day for our wine club only, we did wine and chocolate pairings. And one, one guy bought uh, three sets, four sets, uh, for the three siblings and then their mom for Mother's Day. And then we all did a Zoom together where we did a wine and chocolate pairing. And it was really about their family since they couldn't be together for her birthday as they planned. It's a way for them to connect and to talk and to experience something together at the same time, even though they couldn't be together. And I was there to sort of guide them through it. But really, I was mostly just a word here and there, a question answered when needed, but mostly it was, I got to see this family connect in that way over, you know, this wine and chocolate pairing that I put together with a local chocolatier, Kohler, they're awesome. And, and man, that's, that's really been the beauty of, of this wine club is doing things like that, connecting with people um, in, in such a special way. So that's, that's the wine club. That's really great. And you talk a lot about experiences. I've seen some awesome photos on your Instagram, as every, as you mentioned, and everyone should follow you guys because photos are <laughs> top notch. Um, but I saw that you have your sons in the vineyard, which I think is so great. What would you yeah. say that experience has been like? You know, more than anything, I think it's a great experience um, for, for them because, you know, their mother is, their, my wife is 
born and raised in in the vineyard and so for her she gets to see them growing up in the same place they did doing the same things but it's so cool to get them out on the quads to get them out there to show them even though they don't really experience the wine yet to show them where it all begins and where it ends show them the farming show the show them the hardship of that but also you know they're out there where we have our tomatoes and we have the rest of the things that we're farming and like my two-year-old sonny wanders around the house and like if you don't know where he goes you know exactly where, where to find him he's going to be in the cherry tomatoes and his face is going to be stuffed <laughs> with these things and so the agricultural aspect of growing them up in a community raising them in a community where they're able to see these farmers these people who care so much about the earth and people who are making something that comes directly from the earth i think is really meaningful what lacks for them i think in this experience is a little bit of cultural diversity uh, it's really hard to explain to them the beauty of something um or the sadness or hardship i think all of that probably of something like black lives matter and i can't pretend to understand what what um what black people are going through right now but what i, I can tell you is that i lived in oakland and that for a number of years and and that my 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 stepbrother you know his cousins are half black and that my experience of growing up is with a lot of different cultures and and to the point where, you know, I lived in San Francisco, my, my dad and I lived there. And so I, I'm used to that. Whereas for them, they don't have that experience up here. And so I think that's what's missing. But at least in the vineyards, they're able to see the beauty of agriculture and, and of, you know, the diversity of what we see. And in a time like COVID, I mean, I understand people are trapped in apartments all over the place and we're trapped on quads riding around the vineyards. And so, so grateful, so blessed to be in that scenario now too. But, you know, kids, you know, I heard somebody say yesterday that the best moment of his life, he was, it was his 40th birthday and he came up for a, for a hang in the vineyard. And he said the best moment of his life was when his son was um, old enough to really hug him back. That first hug where like the kid really embraced him head on the shoulder. And he's like, that's, he's like, that's why I'm having my birthday party at home with my kids because it's those hugs that make me so happy. And, and I, I agree with that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really great stuff. I'm glad you have that experience. And uh, what other experiences, like for a visitor, let's say going to the winery or to the taste room, what can they expect to have out of that? Well, at the moment, they can expect to get turned away from the tasting room because <laughs> it's closed. Um, yeah. And so the, what, what I like to do is I like to host people in the, um, in the vineyard, take them for a walk, show them everything, you know. And then, and then prior, previous to this, we'd go to the tasting room, do a tasting. So a lot of times what it becomes more is buy bottles, check it out, and then you kind of go drink on your own because we don't have a licensed um, space where people can taste there. But when they're friends and they're wine club members, it's not a paid experience. They're not paying to come. So like a wine club member would come, we'll give them a walk through the vineyards, like, you guys want to have a glass of wine together? And we do. And so we hang out. So most of what I'm doing now is geared towards our members because they can come up, they can taste, they've, they've tasted all the wines already. And so it just becomes an experience where we hang out together and sip on, sip on wine and check the vineyards. And that's really what I'm focused on now is making sure that these people that have been so supportive of us um, are the ones who are getting most of our support. But the people who are reaching out onto Instagram and things like that, they come out, they check out the vineyards there. You know, we, 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 make, we make really cool stuff happen. Um, even though we don't have the, uh, you know, we can't legally like host a paid tasting or anything like that. There are plenty of other options. Um, before that, before COVID at Jam Cellars, we had awesome tastings. We had live music three nights a week. But what you get more than anything, I think, is a really down to earth experience. For far too long, there have been all these people that have tried to make wine inaccessible. They have wanted to hoard the knowledge and all their studies and make it really um, intimidating. And so you get these things, it's, oh, there's no way you can understand the terroir that goes into this. There's millions of years of family experience. There's dinosaur dung that is creating this. You cannot understand what I bring to you. It's $5,000 for you, but I give to you for 500. You're lucky today. And it's like, it's like, oh my God, I don't even know what you just said, but you're saying 500 and that's gotta be good. And people like, that happened to everybody. And so you end up in this, you know, intimidating experience. And I don't want it to be that way. I want to talk about grapes. I want to talk about wines in ways that are truly accessible. And as we get into the wines that you have there, I love to do things like compare it to music, compare it to shapes, compare it to painting, compare it to things that are subjective. Tell somebody to pick a favorite shape. It's one of those things you really can't look at your body and be like, well, what's your favorite shape? Like, 
doesn't matter, right? It's like, just because they pick a triangle, if you pick a triangle too, like there's no reason to pick the same shape. Same thing with the same color, right? Um, you know, it's, it would be annoying if somebody's like, well, I really love Tuscany taupe. It's like, what? But it's like, you know, for the most part, I try and keep it subjective. I let people be correct. It's helpful to let people, I like to start where I tell them what I taste in a wine and then I don't tell them what they should taste. I move on to the next wine and then I don't tell them. Typically they will still choose words that I chose the first time around. You'll see people start to branch out around the third one, but the power of suggestion is, is incredible when it comes to smell and to taste. And so I try to stay out of people's ways. I try to answer questions. I try to tell my stories. I've told it to you. And I try to just make it accessible. The pricing, I want to be accessible. The flavor profiles, rich and full and accessible. And, um, and, and myself, uh, accessible. I, I want people to be part of the story. And so um, I, I'm not sure where I lost the question in that, but I think I answered that and maybe two or three others with that meandering thought. No, you answered it. I love that you're so hands-on and really care about getting in there, helping out it's your customers and making it accessible. That's something Bianca and I have been talking a lot with this podcast that we're getting off the ground we really want to make this something that anyone can listen to and you know we don't want to be throwing around words that you have to read eight books to really understand we want everyone to be able to listen to it and really get a lot out of it and enjoy it and have fun listening so absolutely yeah that's what makes it useful right i mean when people like when people when you can empower people to make their own decisions about wine and to understand when you get to be the one that opens those doors for them it's such a blessing to be able to be the one that opened that door who cares what they do once they get through it but the fact that before it was this sort of you know just this locked space and now it's yours hold on i'm gonna grab a water real quick yeah all right i'm back bianca do you want to get into going through some of these bottles that they sent us and taste some Definitely. Uh, so Nick and I have our bottles right in front of us. Um, we have, of course, checked out the labels, taken lots of photos of them, and <laughs> tried them. But we would love to talk to you about maybe your, you know, recommendations for what you would pair with these wines, you know, what makes them unique. Um, of course, we all have our own thoughts on that. But we'd love yeah. to start with, we could start with the, uh, the rosé. Absolutely. Um, the, I do want to answer, I want to say one thing though, and, and that is as hands-on as I, as I am, there's no way I could do this without the other people who are involved in this company. Brett Adams, our consulting winemaker, John Shushard, and Sandra and the farming team, Steve Smith for the marketing ideas and the support. Everybody calls, um, calls us the balloon and the anchor. I, I'm, I'm the balloon, if you hadn't figured that out already. And uh, without him, I think long ago, this, I would have floated away and so would have this company. So for the people who I'm not mentioning now, but Megan uh, Vergara as well, who, who helps out in so many ways. So anyway, yes, very hands-on. There's nothing that I don't touch, but I am not a, a one-man, not a one-man show. And so I do want to make that clear that without them, there'd be nothing here. Um, getting back into the rosé. So the rosé is something that we change every single year, not in terms of the flavor profile, but in terms of the components that go into it. This year, there's a lot of Malbec. The first one we ever made was Sangiovese. So we go and we taste and we find components that will create the exact same wine, or at least as close as possible. And then we also look at the market. What is the market doing? Everybody says in the past, they don't want sweet stuff. They want dry stuff. But then they go order a Diet Coke. And it's like, that's like the sweetest thing on the planet. You love sweet stuff. You just, somebody somewhere along the line told you sweet wines were bad, or you think that a sweet wine's a port. And so people love sweet wine. They do, they definitely do. Jammy sweet rhymes, wines, that's what it's about. And so what we wanna do is create something that answers both of those questions. And so as we're making a blend for the rosé, it does, it is dry. It is not sweet. It does not have a high level of residual sugar, but what it does have is a lot of fruit. And at the end, it does have a kiss of sweetness. And the reason that we make sure that it has that kiss of sweetness is that it pair that way it can pair with spicy foods. My mom was a chef, is a chef. And, um, and I grew up where she owned a restaurant called Butterfields. And, and so, and I grew up tasting recipes and all those other things. And so for me, it's really important that it pairs with food and I want it to be something that pairs with the right kinds of food. Rosé, in my mind, is a summertime wine. I know rosé all day, every day, all time of the year, no doubt, I'm, I'm with that. But at the same time, no better time than summertime. And summertime, I think spicy foods, you're thinking about spicy barbecue sauces, whether it be vinegar-based or you know, the brown sugar-based, uh, you're talking about California versus say North Carolina and then Texas, somewhere in between. Whether you're talking about fish tacos, you wanna be able to put a little jalapeno on there. And if the wine doesn't have a hint of sweetness as this one does, and so does our Sauvignon Blanc, 
it's gonna muddle instead of accentuate. They're not, it's not gonna cut through that spice. And so what you're talking about is a wine that I would describe as a dry, which is the opposite of sweet for people. People always wondered, it's like, dude, it's, it's wine, how do you mean it's wet, not dry. Dry means not sweet. And I always put that in things, dry, in friends, not sweet. Because that's people just that's not fair to assume that people understand that dry means not sweet. It's not right. That's not the opposite thing. And so anyway, don't want to talk too much about that. But so that is the vacation rose. And the idea there in the name and everything else is that you know, every day can be a little bit of an escape. Every day can be a vacation. Vacations don't just need to be two weeks on a plane. On a, in a car somewhere else. It can be part of your life. And this is your chance to take a little vacation, a little bit of fruit, a little bit of fun, something playful, a hint of sweetness. And um, hopefully at a price point at 17 bucks that a lot of people can enjoy. You start looking at wines that, especially rosés that sometimes are pushing you know, 30 or $40 um, or rosés from other countries and you don't know what you're going to expect. And it's like 40 bucks, that's $10 a glass. It's like, it's like going out to a restaurant. It's hard for people to get a decent buzz going or enjoy more than a half glass. And so we want to make our prices accessible um, where you're sitting, where you're in a space where you can have a $4 glass of rosé, you know, and, and, or two. And, and that's still, I think about, I mean, that's it's more than you spend on a soda, but I guess it's not a soda. So that is our vacation of rosé. We make that with Brett Denon, again, my favorite musician, great dude. And um, if you're looking for one of his songs, I'd start with Ain't No Reason. It is uh, very telling in terms of who he, he is, uh, but also I think just a sweet melody. Awesome. I'm a big music guy. And also you speak in my language when you're talking about barbecue and everything. That's uh, my bread and butter there. I love Hell smoking yeah. foods. I got up nice. at uh, my girlfriend's lake house in New Hampshire. I We moved into an apartment last year, so I lost my smoker. Can't have no. one here. So as soon as this summer, we were up there during when this whole COVID broke out and living there for about a month, I went to Lowe's. I bought a smoker, modded it all up, and I spent some time making some ribs and everything. Oh, I love it. Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. Well, that's uh, this. I think you'll find our reds pair really well with that too. And we'll get to that when we get to it. All right. What's up next? We can jump into the red now, the cab. I paired mine with a meatball sandwich tonight. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love that. I love it when people pair it with what are seemingly simple, but so flavorful foods. So now our red wines in general, what we do is we have a shorter period of maceration. Um, really important that you pronounce that well or else things get really <laughs> awkward. Um, but yes, the maceration, as you probably know, is the period of time that after you crush the grapes, you take them off the vines, you crush them down, then you leave the skins on the juice. How long you leave the skins on the juice is the period of maceration. Now, I encourage all of you to take a grape sometime, take the skin off of it, eat the inside, it's gonna be sweet and juicy and wet. And you try the outside, and it's gonna be tart and dry and tannic. That's where your tannins come from. That's where the feelings of a triangle when you take a sip come from. The two sides, your two cheeks and the top of your mouth is just like a triangle. That's that tartness, that puckeringness. That's where the complexity, the structure, all those flavors of a grape come from. Not all of those flavors, but many of them. So the longer you leave it on there, the more of those intense flavors you get. We have a very short period of maceration, half as long as the Napa Valley average and a quarter as long as some of the winemakers that are doing extended maceration. So a lot less influence. Then you have your oak choices, American oak being the strongest and then going all the way down to lesser values. We choose French oak, which is probably the second strongest and by strongest, I mean impact in terms of flavor. Now we use French oak, we use medium plus toast, which means it's gonna have a little bit of a toasty note to it. It's not gonna be overly smoky, but toast is what it sounds like. It's that you toast something, it gets a little burnt, gets a little smoky. They actually toast it with a torch on the inside. So the oak is gonna give you flavors of vanilla and it's gonna give you flavors of wood. Um, pretty simply put, right? The longer you put it in that barrel, the more flavor of wood you're gonna get. We also only put, even our Cabernet, nine to 12 months on uh, new French oak, and then we move it into neutral. Neutral being a previously used barrel that isn't going to impart any flavor. That again is half of Napa Valley average and nearly a quarter of what other people are doing. So what that yields are um, wines that are richer, they are smoother, they're silkier, they're no less complex, but they also have flavors from the vineyard, really specific things, sense of place that aren't masked by overly tannic um, experiences or by overly oaked or more oaked experiences. And so what we get is a true expression of the earth and we get something that's accessible, drinkable right away, um, or at least more quickly, depending on what your palate is. And it got that, it's got that richness and it's got that creaminess. And I love that in a red wine. Um, and it still has lots of structure. 
what we lose in that is longevity. So because our wines come out so well from the beginning, they hit their stride fast and stay good for a long time, maybe getting better. But at, 10 year mark, at the 10 year mark, our wines will begin to start to get softer and more subtle and lose some of the pizzazz and perk. Whereas you're talking about the average Napa Valley wine, somebody who's making wines differently with a longer period of maceration, that's skins on the juice or more oak, then that or their wine's just gonna be starting to hit its stride in 10 years. And so they've got the longevity. And you know, if you've got a ton of money and you can just let wines wait and you can barrel age them and you can keep them in bottle and you've got you know, all that, you, you can make that work. But I still, for me, I don't wanna sell somebody something and say, dude, this is gonna be awesome in 10 years. It's like, what? That's really long time from now. I don't know that I'll still even be alive, much less drinking Cabernet, but cool. And so that's not what we do. And what we get also is really food-friendly wine. So that Napa Valley Cab, in its softness and smoothness, it's not, it doesn't come out punching, you know what I mean? It comes out subtle. It still has a lot of flavor. It's not a weak wine. It's got a lot of flavor, but it's softer. It's more subtle. And so we win a lot of gold medals for that same reason. Um, and we get a lot of pairing opportunities because it doesn't beat up foods. It doesn't take over plates. It doesn't take over tasting experiences. And so that cab just got double gold, best in class, 50 to $100 at the East meets West wine competition, which my understanding is the second largest competition in America. Double gold means it was a unanimous judge decision. Um, best in class means that after that, it was chosen as the best wine. Um, in that price point. So that's awesome to get that. It's for a brand new wine. Why? Because everybody else's were just like still so tannic and here they find one that's subtle and balanced. So not a huge surprise. We win, win a lot of golds. And then you take that. We also just won a gold at the Sunset Wine Competition. And so we do really well at competitions. Does that matter? It matters sometimes. It's cool to get the gold. I'd much rather have a friend or loved one tell me they love the wines and get a gold. But a lot of times for people who don't really understand wines yet or who haven't found what they love, it's really nice to have it substantiated. It's like, I think I'm gonna like this. I'm gonna buy it and try it. But what I do know when I buy it is that a group of educated, um, a panel of educated people in the wine world have chosen this as a winner. Who they are, I don't know. Why they did, I don't know. But um, at least I'm not alone. And that gives you a realistic sense of hope that it's going to be a good bottle. And that matters to me because that does speak to accessibility. When you start talking about point scores though, it's like we do get high scores on some of our wines, but trying to tell it's like, this is 97 points. Like who gave you that? It's like, well, my mom's best friend did. It's like, how, who cares? Like one person tasted this and gave it a rating. And that is so subjective um, that we do submit sometimes for scores because we do, we've got wines in Manhattan and we've got wines in Chicago and we've got places where that's important. But like you get like a 93 points versus a 97 points. And it's like, awesome. What, who, who decided? And like, I have to tell you, if I'm in a really shit mood when I'm like trying a wine or if somebody has been a dick, I'm not going to like that wine. So this taster comes home after getting in a car accident or, you know, breaking up with his girlfriend or, you know, having a waiter sneeze on his plate, dude, your wine's going to be an 84. He comes home after getting hit on by the cutest girl at the gym, dude, nothing but hundreds. So not only is it about the person's palate, who knows if yours is the same, it's about the experience they had. If they meet you at a play, if they meet you, uh, you know, at, a, at an event and you are spending a whole lot more time talking to somebody else instead of them, you give them the cold shoulder or you accidentally or just don't have time to give to them that you want, they later taste your wine. It's like, oh yeah, this tastes like submissive, you know, like, like that jerk that makes them. This is a jerk wine. What does that mean? Well, it means you get an 82. And isn't, you know, it's like, yeah, the blind tasting, my ass. It was a blind tasting until he looked at the bottle and then remember that you were a jerk. Um, so we'll see. I, 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 again, I know that scores are important. I know that people are impartial. I know that those people have done an amazing thing to support the industry. I do not hang my hat on scores um, yeah. or medals, but medals are more important because they make things more accessible. They don't scare people away. Um, cause they don't, you can say a gold medal and people are like, they know what that is. You say 97 points. It's like on a scale from zero to a hundred. No, actually 80 is about as low as a wine can possibly get. And that's like one of those things. People don't know that you can't get below an 80. They don't give scores below 80. So really you hear 97 points. You think of like your math test. It's like, that's fucking awesome, man. I may see like 20% on my math test. This is no matter what, this is an 83. That's badass. No, it's not. It's a scale of 80 to hundred. You basically just got a three. You still failed. 
So, I mean, that's a lot about kind of my feelings about things, but what I love is making cabs that people can drink right away. They do get gold medals because that makes them more accessible and understandable for people um, and, and gives them a basis to believe that they're going to be trying something that others like as well. And so that's the cab. I recommend pairing that with anything. I love pairing that cab and our reds in general with fish or any meat in a Mediterranean sauce. I love what rich tomato sauces do. And hey, a meatball sandwich, both are nice rich tomato sauce, a little bit of cheese. There you go. So that rich red sauce, I think it can be done on halibut. I think with swordfish, it's awesome. Don't go crazy with the capers. It does weird stuff with red wines. Um, but it's like, there are so many things you can do now there's a game that you get to play too. So now if you've got a wine and it's got a lot of cedar, a lot of oak, a lot of wood, or a lot of any kind of flavor, the question then becomes, do you want to smoke it with that same flavor so that the two will kind of combine and pair? Or do you want to go a different direction and create a contrast? And that as a chef or as somebody who's cooking is a fun decision you get to make. If you can do both, see what people think, see what you like better. But um, when you start pairing things, you get to decide who gets to shine. Do you want the wine to be smashed by this food because it's, you just want to have wine to drink? Do you want the wine to smash the food so you make something really subtle and the wine takes over? Or do you find something that combines or somewhere in between? There isn't a right way to do it uh, as long as you're not muddling. And where that happens is if you're in a situation where you've got um, something that's really dry going with something really spicy, like a dry red wine with something spicy, they're going to come together and just knock it along. So, um, so there, there are ways to, that you'll learn pretty quickly don't go well together. And those are just usually flavor profiles that in any world don't go well together. Like ketchup on your cereal, probably not going to be a good idea. There's no way that that's going to be awesome. Like, I can't imagine that being awesome, no matter what ketchup or cereal you've chosen. So you may absolutely make coffee. My beautiful wife has just wandered in. This is going to be, <laughs> no I'm in problem. our kitchen. Coffee is essential. <laughs> Coffee and wine. Coffee and um, wine. Not in the glass. Switching from uh, the this, this stronger red wine, we have this beautiful white wine, which in my opinion is, is great for the summer. I, I lean yeah. towards white blends and salt blancs in the summer, and I think this one has great flavor notes. It's a very refreshing wine. So we'd love to hear more about this one uh, from, from your perspective. Absolutely. Uh, so way that the genesis of that is we made a Chardonnay that – actually did really well. People who don't even like Chardonnay seem to like this, but none of us, Steve Smith, John Chouchard, and I, none of us were drinking that Chardonnay. We weren't bringing it to parties. And we had an agreement early on as John's saying from his company was never make a wine you wouldn't bring to a party. We found ourselves, none of us wanting to bring that wine or drink it. We said, all right, we've got a problem here. What's everybody drinking? Well, we're drinking, drinking really crisp, acidic Sauvignon Blancs. Like, all right, let's go in that direction. So that was the, the building block for that. Right about that time though, and currently people aren't really buying Sauvignon Blanc and they're not really buying Rosé. They instead are buying White Claw and they're buying other lightly essenced alcoholic beverages. And so we don't want to change the market. We want to give the market what they want. So we weren't about to go out and find some intense grapes or make a wine. You know, a lot of people are actually oaking Sauvignon Blancs these days and doing these other really sort of, um, they're doing things that add a lot of flavor to Sauvignon Blanc. And so what we did is we found grapes that were light and crisp. And we said, do we want to make a Sauvignon Blanc? And we said, nah, man, because we want to maybe change this next year. We may want to be able, maybe the, maybe the market changes, maybe the palate changes, maybe we don't want to bring Sauvignon Blancs to a party anymore. And what we don't want to do is end up in a situation where the wine is similar and equally refreshing and wonderful but because we've changed the blend, we have to call it something else. Then you get all these people who are pissed off that you're not making their favorite wine anymore. So instead of calling it a Sauvignon Blanc, which we could because the wine you're drinking is 99% Sauvignon Blanc and 1% Muscat, we could call it a Sauvignon Blanc more than 85%. We chose to stick with white blend because next year, I don't think it's going to be the same. I don't think everybody's still going to be buying White Claw and Truly. I think if they are, they're going to be buying new flavors. Are they going to be sweeter? Are they going to be drier? Are they suddenly going to be incorporating flavors like hazelnut? So suddenly people are starting to look for almond and hazelnut flavor beverages instead of the raspberry and other flavors that are currently popular. Well, I don't know, but we in a white blend can now make that change. But what we will not change is that it's crisp, it's refreshing, it's acidic, it's got flavors of citrus. And what we also love about it is that while the flavor profile stays to that citrus and that minerality, the, 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 the nose to it, the, the, the aroma, 
is much more tropical, pineapple, guava, other fruits like that. And again, call them a porch pounder, call it whatever you want, summer sipper. This is, you know, summertime wine, it's 18 bucks. And so we've got a deal on our website right now, it's called the Summertime Trio. And that is our California red blend, which is the Syrah, the Zin, and the Cab Front that I was talking about, the white blend and the rosé. Those three, like bring those to a barbecue, you cannot go wrong. All of them are gonna pair well with almost any food that you choose. They're all gonna be awesome, straight out of the cooler. Even the red blend is nice, sort of chilled. It brings up the acid, but on a hot day, by the time you get it out of the cooler and walk over and talk to your buddy for a minute, it's gonna be 55 degrees, you're the typical red drinking anyway. So that is an easy drinking summer sipper that's all about refreshing, crisp, summertime fun. That's awesome. Yeah, I just tried all three. That white was delicious too, especially. Hell yeah. I'm glad you like it, man. Yeah. I think that's all the time we're going to keep you tonight. I don't want to keep uh -huh. you too long. Uh, I had so much fun talking to you. You're awesome. I can't wait to yes. check out the music that you suggested. Yes, uh, yeah. please, please do. Um, since you're a music head, if you haven't heard of him, check out Ziggy Albert's Laps Around the Sun. It, like while you're while you're cooking up tonight, throw that on. I think it will make you really happy. The guy's doing everything himself. He doesn't have a record label. He's traveling in a van. He's picking up individual musicians in each town and open having and work or at least in each region and they're opening up for him. Hit or miss, I think, but um, just killing it. Uh, the other musicians I'd recommend that we work with are Andrew McMahon. Um, he's got a song. He's got some great songs out there. Uh, Amy Hanayali, if you want some Hawaiian vibes. Um, Brett Denon, obviously, Ain't No Reason, which was the song that I picked, but Wild Child is another good one. Um, but you can go by that. And then Dresden Wine um, by Andrew Ripp. We made a wine called Dresden with that guy. And he, man, he's on a mission to change the world and make it a better place. So check out the song called Dresden Wine by Andrew Ripp. I'm sure I'm forgetting people that we make wines with some other great stuff, Van and Wynn, whatever it may be, but check it out. Um, and thank you guys for your time. I really appreciate it. In times like these, it is really hard to reach new people. There's a lot of noise on Instagram. There's a lot of noise in general. And people like you who are taking the time to let us tell our stories, who are getting them out there, who are getting us in front of new people, and who are genuinely caring enough to try the wines and to make these appointments and do this, you're making a big difference in the industry. And we, I am truly grateful for you and for what you're doing. We really appreciate that. And uh, one last thing, where can our listeners find you guys on social and online? Online, smithdevereux.com. That's spell Smith is as you expect. Devereux is D-E-V-E-R-E-U-X.com. You can find us on Instagram at at smithdevereuxwines or Ian underscore Devereux underscore white. Um, and those are the best ways to find us. And if you reach out to Smith Devereaux or to me personally, you will get a response very quickly. And I will be the one who is ultimately the one guiding you through your purchase or anything else. My email is all over the website. Do not hesitate to reach out to me directly. I love communicating with people. I love helping you decide what wines to buy. I love helping you after you buy them to pair them or to talk about what they are. It's all about um, developing relationships. And I'm here to do that and to help people decide what they, what I think will help them. So I'm here to help people buy wine. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. I can't wait to talk thank to you, you so again much. in the future. See what you got going on in the future. All right. Thank you. Have a good night. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. You too. Be sure to follow us on social at Uncorked Corner and on the blog at uncorkedcorner.com for a taste of more food and beverage content. And if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to leave a comment, subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you prefer. Thanks for listening.